Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Welcome, everyone, to episode number four of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner in crime here, Raj. Hi, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Good to see you again. Good to see you again. Um, I guess today we'll go and start to maybe talk a little bit more about the second pillar of conscious capitalism, what we've called stakeholder orientation or stakeholder integration into how you think about and, and run your business. When I bring that up, what, what are your first thoughts about that? Well, you know, it's, it's something that seems obvious today uh, to us that how can you run a business without taking into consideration uh, the well-being of everybody the business touches? Because after, after all, we're all interconnected and interdependent through that business. But for a very long time, we have seen portions of that system as a means and others as an end, right? The end being, of course, making money and creating shareholder value. And we've seen employees and customers and suppliers and everybody else really has, has inputs into that. And, uh, and that has led to a lot of negative consequences uh, for the well-being of those stakeholders because we have used them in a way. So this is about serving them as deeply as possible each of them, and, and through that interconnection and their well-being that results from their being served well, seeing extraordinary levels of value being created for everybody from that yeah. system. Yeah, so and I think... Means I, and ends, we've confused the means and ends part of this. Everybody is a means and everybody is an end in that system. Well, I guess it sort of goes back to sort of taking a systems view of how the business is operating versus a more mechanical view. So when you take a more systems view and you sort of say, hey, listen, we want to be thriving in a healthy ecosystem, so to speak, um, in which we're creating in a healthy ecosystem more value for everybody versus, you know, the, um, the opposite would be to be the, the, the part of the center of the ecosystem that's sucking the life out of everybody else. <laughs> and eventually we call that cancer and it kills the system. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, it was kind of chew them up and spit them out. You know, if employees leave at the rate of 150% a year, as, as we've seen in some industries in retail, for example, we figure there's an endless supply. We'll just keep replacing them. Right. As opposed to saying, why are people leaving? Right. Yeah. So when you, when you keep them in that way, then, then it's uh, you know, you get different answers. And of course, ultimately, all of these things result in superior business performance, right? When, mm. you, when you think about things holistically and how they're interconnected and when you serve rather than exploit all the different entities connected to the business. Yeah. And that's a different mindset. Well, I think that um, there's an organization called Just Capital. That's Just Capital for people that want to go reference it. Um, They've just come out with a, a wonderful chart. They've been charting stakeholder performance and ranking companies based on their approach to stakeholders. 
And their most recent analysis is fascinating because it shows the companies they're tracking that are in the top quartile of stakeholder orientation outperform the bottom quartile by, um, by 30% in terms of their profitability and business returns. So mm-hmm. it's ultimately, you know, it's a bit of a conundrum because, or paradox in a sense, because here you are saying that the shareholder is not the primary focus, but we're trying to create value across all the stakeholders. And in the end, the shareholder benefits as a result that of is- that. It is a paradox because, you know, the data shows that since around 1970, when shareholder value maximization became the dogma, uh, unquestioned dogma in a way in business schools and elsewhere, and Milton Friedman wrote his famous essay then, if you look at the return on assets of American companies, since that time, they have steadily declined. Mm. Uh, So shareholder value theory has failed even on its own narrow terms that it's going to result in making more money. It doesn't. Yeah. Because you're not aligning you know, the, the, uh, the forces of value creation. Mm. And any system is only as strong as its weakest link. And there were a lot of weak links mm. uh, in a system which is when, where you make systematic trade-offs in favor of one part of that system. Yeah. You end up using and abusing others. And, and ultimately, that comes back to hurt you, right? I mean, there's all kinds of feedback loops uh, in operation. There's word of mouth, right? That, that's out there. There's the media. There's... And in today's interconnected world, it is all the more so, and it happens very quickly. You know, there's no place to hide. Right? Yeah. They are almost total transparency. And so, uh, and that's a good thing. You know, companies that are operating in the right way and treating everybody well see the benefits of that. They reap the rewards of that. And that's, that's the kind of world we want to live in, right? With justice and, and, uh, and rewards for the good guys. Yeah, yeah. And I think that... Um... You know, part of it is like we've already described, it's the system thinking rather than this linear inputs and outputs. But it's also about having a long-term relational point of view versus a short-term transactional. And I think that's also been really critical. It's, I, I love, uh, I remember having this discussion with John Mackey at one point, and he said, it's sort of like uh, being in a good marriage, right? If one partner is always winning at the detriment or the, of the other, that's not the basis for a long-term relationship. Mm-hmm. So when you're thinking about your stakeholders and you're thinking about the long-term relational connection that you have with them, right. um, that's where the value gets created. That's where the innovation occurs. That's where the resilience lies. Um, and that's very different than what happens when you have a very short-term and very transactional point of view. Um, because then there is no loyalty over the long run. There is no psychological safety that allows people to have the room to go and innovate and do things differently. Um, so I think that's the other piece that, that, that's really critical. And I think with that relational mindset comes uh, an attitude of caring. Mm. You only care about their well-being, right? Not even just to the extent that it helps you as a business, but you know, you're here to serve. In a, in a way, there's a servant leadership mentality behind a stakeholder mindset because we are here to serve and create value for all of our stakeholders, which means we need to understand them deeply and care about them so that we can then serve them at a deeper level. You know, I'm reminded of that Spice Girls song, tell me what you want and tell me what you really, really want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think that's incredibly important because I think that as people start to think about, well, what does the stakeholder approach mean for my business? I think that it begins with a couple of critical points. First of all, can you identify 
who your stakeholders really are. Um, and in our book, we talk about the difference between primary stakeholders and secondary stakeholders. So the first issue is, can you identify them um, and very particularly identify them? Mm-hmm. And I think generally we've said there are customers, there are employees, they are our suppliers, there's the communities that we work in, um, there's the silent stakeholder, the environment, and then there are the, the shareholders. Mm-hmm. Um, and generally, those are your primary um, stakeholders. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I agree with that. Uh, but However, there's one blind spot that I've realized mm. that we have as individuals and as companies, which is that we are our own most important stakeholders as individuals. Right? So if you ask people to to uh, to uh, list their stakeholders in their personal lives they will say the kinds of you know the family and the children mm. and the parents and the, uh, what about you mm. right? if you don't take care of yourself yeah. uh, how can you actually serve those others right yeah. so we have a primary duty to ourselves mm. right yeah. i think we forget that and companies forget that yeah you know, companies have you know talked about all those other stakeholders but if you look at the company itself and how strong is it and how resilient it is it and how much are we actually investing in the long term health mm. uh, company you see that actually we haven't been doing that mm. especially in the last 12 years or so the data that i've seen on share buybacks and dividends mm. i think it's about 93% of profits went to share buybacks and dividends and, and the historical data says that companies are investing about 50% less compared to historic norms on capital equipment, on R&D, mm. and in general, just upgrading, refreshing their own internal capacities and investing in people and all the rest of it, right? So mm. we are sort of milking you know, that whole system for the benefit of just the shareholders. So that's a reflection of that shareholder-centric mindset. Yeah. But in the process, we're also forgetting to invest in the company itself. I think starting with you yourself as a stakeholder of, you know, because the company is the one that, uh, you know, has to make those decisions about how do we treat all the other stakeholders. So don't forget about yourself uh, when you're thinking about stakeholders. Well, I think it's uh, it's fascinating this uh, this this tension that's evolved around. On the one hand, you have the activist investors that are putting enormous short-term pressure on on companies. Um, to perform in the short term. And yet increasingly we have this recognition that the way to create long-term value is to have this relational stakeholder system dynamic point of view. Mm-hmm. That that's the, that's the way you create sustainable competitive advantage uh, and sustainable long-term value. And yet at the same time, we've got this pressure coming from the investors and, and some analysts on Wall Street, which lead to things like increasingly borrowing money to pay dividends and, um, and the shift in investment to share buybacks. Um, right. So it's an interesting time where we've got the, the, this battle going on uh, in some sense for the soul of business. Yeah, and I think it's a transitional time because we're kind of stuck between paradigms right now. Mm. You know, it's like you're a trapeze artist and you've kind of let go of that one, but the other one hasn't yet arrived. You're kind of in the middle over there, yeah. right? So we're still, we're still kind of paying homage to the old approach. And in a way, that, that with the rise of activist investors in the last few years, I mean, that has kind of risen uh, to a level beyond historic norms. But I do think there's a fundamental shift that is underway, uh, even in the world of investing, 
with uh, companies like BlackRock and State Street and Vanguard all talking about the need for holistic, long-term, purposeful, and aligned with society types of decision-making. Uh, and then, of course, we do have the formation of the long-term stock exchange, mm. which has been moving along, actually. Mm. Uh, it got approved by the SEC. And, and the idea there is that the voting power uh, of investors would depend on how long you hold your shares. Yeah. If you just bought them yesterday, as activist investors are very short term, they buy a bunch of shares and then they, they issue proxies and they put pressure on management to change the direction of the company. They would be disempowered under that. And mm. true investors would be empowered, as they should be. Mm. True investors who actually want to see this company succeed, want to see its vision realized, its purpose achieved, right? And they know that that takes time. Anything meaningful takes time. And so the longer you hold your shares, the more say you have. Uh, in the direction of that company. So I think that is uh, from a stakeholder mindset. Yeah. Those are investors as stakeholders, as opposed yeah. to investors as speculators. Yeah. And we don't really owe any loyalty uh, to speculators. In fact, we should disregard them. And we should definitely have a close stakeholder relationship with true investors. Rather than the casino capitalists that are you know, one step up from, in a sense, gambling. Now, Having said that, I think there's another element which is also at play here, which is the impact investing movement, where people are now talking very seriously about several trillions of dollars being in the ESG investment world. Mm -hmm. And in many ways, ESG, which stands for Environment, Social and Governance, is very tightly aligned to the idea of stakeholders. Um, and in fact, you know, in the environment side, you have your environment and the social, you typically have people, your communities, uh, you've got uh, looking at your supply chains um, and those kinds of things and, uh, and what the impact is on the, on the areas that you work in. So I think that it's, a, again, another trend that we're seeing is people now starting to say, uh, we've got to be more... Uh, specific in how we report on this idea of stakeholder capitalism vis-a-vis -vis ESG. And I think, uh, you know, I, you, you and I are both talking earlier about Davos and the announcement at Davos last year of, you know, that the stakeholder, the era of stakeholder capitalism is approaching and the commitment by 120 CEOs to work with uh, the big four accounting firms over this next year uh, reporting back in February on uh, their ideas of the 22 metrics that they would propose that would be the placeholders for good ESG reporting with mm. another 33 that are going to be optional or supplemental. Mm. Um, so I think that pressure that's coming from investors who are increasingly saying how you make your profit matters um, is also very much in line with this push towards a stakeholder orientation. So again, it's this interesting tension between these short-term activists, and these others who are going, no, actually, long-term value creation, really, you, know, you need to be looking at these other things, both from an opportunity point of view, but also from a risk point of view. You don't want to end up with stranded assets because you were on the wrong side of the environmental sustainability <laughs> movement. Um, it's a good blend of external forces pushing us and then internal motivations driving us in that same direction. I think it needs to be a combination. And ideally the, the intrinsic motivation is the strongest. 
Mm. Because, you know, the, the power of voluntary action and voluntary exchange is much greater than mandated things. Yeah. When we look for ways beyond them and, and we look to, you know, yeah, that's how you end up with greenwashing and purpose washing and all the rest of it. But I think the intrinsic motivation also is important. So it's the inside out and the outside and the push and the pull, which is going to move us faster in this direction. And then having the metrics and having the accounting firms uh, be able to standardize across that so public companies can actually report on that and then investors can compare companies mm. and select them and invest accordingly. I think that these are, these are great uh, indicators. I just feel like we're in the middle of this massive transfer uh, transition moment. Yeah. Kind of a slow motion Berlin Wall moment that's happening. <laughs> yeah. That we will transition to this new mindset and it will become the default. Well, I like the, way, the word you just used, mindset, because I think that maybe where we should go next is to talk a little bit about the stakeholder mindset. Because while there is this outside pressure, the intrinsic motivation really is based around how do you develop a stakeholder mindset inside the business? And, mm -hmm. and what does that look like? And I think as we mentioned earlier, you know, the first part is can we identify you know, who our stakeholders are? Do we, do we know who they are? And as you, with your Spice Girl song analogy pointed out, do we really understand their needs? And, mm -hmm. um, and I don't just mean superficially, but can we engage with them to really understand uh, you know, what they're needing? And I, and I think about things like what Whole Foods was doing with their future search process, mm -hmm. right? Where every three to five years, they were pulling together various stakeholders for a week. You participated in one of those. And, and how did you feel about that? Did you feel that stakeholders really had a chance to voice their thoughts and views as to where the strategy of the business was going? Yeah, absolutely. By the way, when you mentioned the Spice Girls, another thought came to me. You know, I've been using the acronym SPICE and SPICY to represent <laughs> stakeholders, right? IP <laughs> partners, investors, customers, employees, and the environment. And of course, SPICE, so there's a connection there. But yeah, I think uh, there's a... Uh, the, the future search and the appreciative inquiry methodologies are both great ways to get the whole system in the room yeah. and then to create the future, to dream the future co-created with them. Yeah. Uh, and you have buy-in you know, from day one. You don't, have, you don't come up with a strategy and then you have to go and sell it in mm. a way it's already pre-approved, uh, pre right? Uh, you co-created it with your stakeholders. So, mm. you know, they have a stake in it because, you know, you've done it with them. Um, Right. And they understand how their needs are represented and the value that they can help co-create with you. And interestingly, some of these big ideas for Whole Foods have come from stakeholders. They haven't come from executives or board members or others. I've come from customers. They've come from uh, employees, in some cases, even activists yeah. know, in, the, in the space. So they would consider activists as sort of a, a kind of category of stakeholders as well. I'm not talking about activist investors, but I'm talking about social activists. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well-being of animals, for example, and so forth. So there's a, there's a great deal to be said, and then that bonds everybody together, you know, create this connective tissue across stakeholders. Yeah, you happen to be wearing a hat of a customer, but potentially you could be an employee and certainly you could be a, uh, an investor. And if you really became an entrepreneur, you could be a supplier uh, to that company, et cetera. So the, you know, the roles may change, but your orientation yeah. and linkage uh, to the company are strong when yeah. you are included yeah. part of the family in a way. So there's kind of a family mindset here 
uh, everybody plays their role, but we are all in this together. Yep. And, and the phrase that I like now is everybody matters and everybody needs to win. Mm. So all the stakeholders matter. Their well-being inher inherently matters, not just because it's going to help us make more money, but because it's the right thing for them uh, that we believe. And everybody needs to win. Otherwise, any system is only as strong as the weakest link. And there are lots of weak links in most systems. Yeah. We have to, just like our body, if you don't pay attention, you know, an infection in my <laughs> pinky finger can can ultimately bring down the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, you brought up the appreciative inquiry. I remember when we interviewed Chuck Fowler, the former CEO of Fairmont Central, the, uh, the mining company. Uh, he was very big on bringing together the stakeholders and going through an appreciative inquiry process. And out of that came a lot of great ideas that have helped them um, uh, become, I, I always get this wrong, but they, they put, they take out more carbon than they put into uh, the environment now. Having followed this process for the last 20 years, they are actually sequestering more carbon than they're actually releasing. And making a return, uh, a positive return on their sustainability investments. So it's, um, it's really interesting that when you start to think about this from a, a stakeholder point of view and you look at the environment that way, you can have one, a real impact, but two, also earn a, a decent economic return. I remember two other things that he said that was really important about some of the things that came out of this stakeholder approach for them was, one, when they go in and they're bidding for new mining rights in new communities, um, they're always the favored partner for the local community in the kind of mining they do because they're not afraid to reference past communities they've worked with and have people go back and interview them and in fact have those communities come and present to the new communities and say hey listen working with these guys has been great they've created jobs they've treated us well they've treated our environment well they've left things They've created parks and forests in the areas when they're finished with their mining. Um, so that became a real positive for them from a strategic point of view when they're looking at growth opportunities in new markets. They have a competitive edge going into those markets. Sure. And, you know, and some of the small things they do, it's like um, I remember they basically allow every employee to have 40 hours of paid volunteer time in their local community. Mm -hmm. So it becomes another example, sort of a win-win. You've got a week, 40 hours to go do volunteer work in your local community. You feel good as an employer, employee, uh, having this opportunity to contribute to the community. And then the community benefits from the fact that you're helping to sustain the places in which you work. Um, yeah, you, you can extend that thinking and also... Uh, there's a company called FIFCO, uh, and I think we had Ramon uh, Mandiola featured in our field guide as well, in addition to uh, Fremont. And what FIFCO has done in Costa Rica, uh, along the lines, I mean, they've also gone from neutral, uh, negative to neutral to positive on carbon, water, and on uh, solid waste. I mean, they're planning to get to positive on all of them. Some of them, they're already getting there. Uh, and part of the way that they've done that is that they have given their own employees time to go out there and, you know, clean up some of the waste and do all of those kinds of things. But in recent years, they've extended that 
and they are now inviting customers to join those efforts, mm. right? And their board members and their suppliers and, and then just citizens, yeah. right? So all of their stakeholders now as volunteers. Most companies stop at employees because you can kind of control your employees or you know what to do with that. But they've broadened it and opened it up and now there's a million dollars worth, I mean, million hours worth of volunteering, you know, that goes into uh, those mediation uh, efforts. I'm also reminded of a steel company in Korea that I worked with called POSCO, the most admired metals company in the world at the time. And I went to their primary manufacturing plant in Pohang, uh, which was a remote region of, uh, of Korea. And I was struck by the fact that there are two million trees within the boundaries of that steel plant and that the air quality and the water quality, the ocean is nearby, is actually better today than it was 25 years ago when they started. Mm. Right, so here's a normally a polluting, you know, type of a business that comes there, and 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 because they partnered with the community and they they took this, they treated the environment and everything else as a stakeholder, they created positive value for those stakeholders. Right, so yeah. you you kind of, you know, you get rid of the idea of trade-offs across stakeholders when you adopt a true stakeholder mindset. If you don't have that, then you're constantly every day trading off. I'm going to hurt, you know, I'm going to, you know feed Peter to pay Paul or whatever. They rob Peter to pay Paul, I guess. Yeah. Uh, there's no free lunch and that. But, uh, you know, you can satisfy all of them and you can break those trade-offs. And part of the way you do that is by uh, involving all of them in the uh, process of coming up with ideas and, and ways to do things. Yeah. Right? So you kind of cross-source across all of your stakeholders, which is what I love about these processes like appreciative inquiry. It's like dreaming together. Yeah. Right? As we say, the expression goes, the world is as you dream it. Yeah. Everything you see around you, you know, was inside. Everything behind you in this room was inside somebody's head before it became part yeah. of this room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And therefore, if you dream a collective dream, and then we can manifest that collective dream. But you get everybody's, you know, it's not about one person, you know, sort of lone ranger going off and dreaming something. But we dream it together and then we manifest it. And then it's simultaneously, you know, all the, there's no trade-offs inside that because everything is simultaneously dealt with. There. Well, thanks, Raj, as always, for your time. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. Again, any thoughts, comments, feedback, uh, go to theconsciouscapitalists.com. That's theconsciouscapitalists.com. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button on this podcast. Thank you so much. Thanks, Raj. Thank you, Timothy. See you soon.